Hi, everybody. Oh, we oh, did that exactly the same. Yeah, we did exactly the same, adjusting things here. Technically, okay. We're online now. Welcome, everybody, on this lovely Monday. It's sunny out. 63. 63. Very Much nice. better than That's right. it had been a couple days ago. Absolutely. And we are here ready to resume our journey through the letter to Titus. Yes. If right? you missed it last week, we only got through the first 10 verses. Yes. Actually, first... Actually, I think it was nine. Nine verses. Okay. So, <laughs> but it's one of those things. Okay. If you yeah, missed it well, last week, know. don't just read it once. Yeah. Go, it's so short. Go back and read it just yeah. a couple times. You know, it's, it's, yeah. that's, that's why God gave it to us, not to see how, how fast we could finish it, right? Really? Well, I'm guessing I have read a lot of books um, where I read them so fast. I want to um, see how fast I could get through you them. You know I'm teasing. Yeah, I know you, about you don't. That. I know you are, dear. So. People are, are here. Um, Norm is recovering from his knee surgery. I guess Theda's had a knee replacement last Thursday. Wow. Norma's wow. doing well. I hope Theda's is doing well. Yes, we do. Wow. So. Um, oh, it's cutting out again today. Okay, folks, if we are cutting out to get today and you have the capability we don't know what it is going on. It, it's not It's not our computer not at us. home because it's happening at church too. It's something to do with Facebook. But if you can put us on your iPad or your iPhone under your Facebook app, I promise you it it works so much better. Yeah, then the computer. It's, it's almost like computers typically the worst. Yes. Then the iPad. Yes. And phone seems to be the, the phone, most reliable yes. way to yes. do it. but. It, it's, it's it, Facebook, it not us. It happened yesterday all day. It was so yeah. frustrating. I felt so bad for people. But as soon as I opened up my iPhone, it never missed. Right. Yeah. Right. So it was sorry it's something about in the that, connections. Though. Because it, when it I pulled, when I download the class from, from a Facebook, the recording, yes. it's not that way. Oh, it's all perfect? It's all just fine. Okay. Yeah. It's wow. really in getting it out gotcha. to people. And, and, you know, anyway... Whatever. Sorry. We can only do what we can do. So, anyway. And okay. when I say iPhone, of course, I mean any any phone that you yes, have. Yes, anywhere you can have a Facebook app. app yes. Mm -hmm. We're just iPhone people, right? Yes, we are. We are. <laughs> yes. I'm still. My present for this Christmas was I. I had a major upgrade. I went from the iPhone 8 to the new iPhone 13 Max Pro. Woo. Whew. Yeah. Now, I have to tell the you one thing. thing is the thing. size of a house. I will admit, you know, I pretty much wear makeup every day of my life. And if it's early in the morning and I pick it up, it doesn't recognize my face. <laughs> it's a little scary. <laughs> I got to run and comb my hair, put on a little bit of mascara, and then I smile and it, it takes me. But it's, it's, oh, it's Patty. It's pretty funny. It's I mean, Patty. it's like, we don't recognize you. Who are you? It's a little bit scary. But that's what you have to... Deal with every day, honey. Mm. You're beautiful <laughs> yes, 24 7, yes, baby. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm yeah. telling you, the iPhone doesn't lie. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> you you so, love me, though, and the yeah, iPhone I do. doesn't. No, that's, that's all true. That's all true. Okay, right. well, I think we're about ready to go. What do you think? I think that'd be great. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be gathered here today. We're we're making a way through this letter that I suspect most of us have never spent much time with. I don't think it's preached from very much. It's kind of a short little letter from Paul to to um, this younger associate, um, Titus. And we just pray that as we continue to make a way through this letter, that you will open up the 
open it up for us and help us to take it in and and go it through it at a pace that helps us really hear things in here that um, in a way we would not if we were probably just reading it on our own. I guess that's that's really my goal. Anyway, we do pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All righty. Okay. Thank you, Patty. Run around the side. So... So looking at the comments, I guess it's Doug that had the knee replacement. That's what is it wasn't clear to me. I guess it was Doug. In oh. Doug. So Doug, we do hope that you are feeling better and I'm sure Theatus is a great nurse and caregiver in that. Um, but hey, don't test her patience. That's that's my advice to everybody. So let's see. We are in the first chapter of Titus. We started last week. Um, Titus, as I said last week, is someone who we know from other places in Paul's letters, though not the book of Acts. And he is like Timothy, um, though not as, I think, well-known, because we do encounter Timothy in the book of Acts. Titus is a younger associate of Paul who is presently, when this is written, on the island of Crete, um, establishing Christian communities. That's what Paul does. It's what Timothy does. It's their work. And so they, they in that sense, are pastors, founding pastors, shepherding pastors, growing leaders, growing these house churches and so forth. And so it's a very, these letters tend to be very, very practical um, in that sense. I, I think sometimes people mis, misunderstand Paul and they see Paul so letters is all being about, you know, head in the clouds, theology, and all that kind of stuff. And that really isn't it at all. Paul, Paul is a pastor, and he writes as a pastor, and he writes to people whom he is pastoring and shepherding. And so to that regard, every person who, who works in ministry should be able to identify with Paul and everyone who is in a congregation should be identified, should be able to identify with Paul in the sense that they are part of the kind of communities that Paul is creating and Timothy created and Titus is creating. And so Paul is helping Titus do a good job facing some kind of unique um, challenges perhaps in, on the island of Crete. It has a large Jewish community, which means that there are probably a lot of Jews, some who are attracted to Jesus, but are, are kind of driven to make the same mistake that the um, Jews in Galatia did, or the Jews who visited Galatia, that their their basic approach is in order to be a really, really super Christian, um, a true Christian, you need to keep the Jewish law. You need to keep the Jewish Sabbath. You need to keep the Jewish food laws and the rest of it. Um, I think with probably the attitude, well, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. And that is something that Paul 
fights from the beginning because Galatians, where he fights it head on, is a really early letter. This is much later. But the fact that there are a lot of Jews there and he will refer to them specifically at, in at least one point in this letter, um, that seems to be the kind of a problem that Titus is running into. And Jews in the first century had built up lots of, um, how can we say it, myths and legends and genealogies and angelologies that were really outside scripture. There's a lot of Jewish literature that isn't sacred scripture but exists at this, at this time and sort of takes sort of biblical ideas and spins them off, but it's it's it doesn't get you in the direction of Jesus, and it doesn't get you in the direction of the good news, and it doesn't get you in the direction of the coming of the kingdom of God. And so um, spending time on that seems to be a problem that people are attracted to it, as they often are to that kind of thing. So we're going to um, go back to chapter 1, if you remember, last week um, we spent a good time on verses 5 to 9 where Paul is setting out um, what Titus should look for in good leaders. That's the essence of it. And of course, if Paul says to you, well, this is what you should look for in leaders, well, why wouldn't you look for that in all of us? The leaders of churches aren't really in a special class. It's not like, well, the leaders need to run a clean ship and the rest of us can, you know, go do all kinds of ungodly things. That's not it. We're really all held to the same standard. It's just that Paul is talking to Titus about um, reinforcing in him the things to be looking for. So when you get to chapter, to verse 10, he's changing direction. Now he's going to talk about those who are opposing Titus, those who Titus is having a problem with. Okay? Um, so, chapter 1, verse 10. He says, For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception. <laughs> well, that sort of defines the world. It's a, definitely defines the world we're living in today, right? So much empty, ridiculous talk. Empty, ridiculous, just, just, it drives me crazy. But in any event, <laughs> for there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk, full of deception, especially those of the circumcision group. Okay, so who are the circumcision group? First of all, they would be Jews because Jews were circumcised. Secondly, they are probably coming in saying, well, Jesus was circumcised, and thus Gentiles coming into the movement need to be circumcised as well. Um, that has been a live issue for years. It goes back to... Um, disagreements in the late 40s and in early 50s AD. There was a big meaning about it that's recounted in Acts 15. But you and I know that just because some group decides something, that doesn't mean it's all done and doesn't come up again. Um, so it does. It wouldn't surprise me to find that 
Paul is using that phrase not just to speak of his fellow Jews, but to particularly speak of those Jews who are saying that, well, incoming Gentiles coming into the movement, they need to be circumcised, right? I'm just, you could argue about it, but I think I'm right. Ah, there we go. Verse 11, this sounds like Paul. They must be silenced. Don't listen to them. <laughs> because they are disrupting whole households. These are household churches, right? They don't they don't meet in separate buildings. They meet in people's homes. They're like they're like small covenant groups that meet in people's homes today. Right? So they're disrupting entire covenant groups, entire households, household churches by teaching things they ought not to teach. They're just wrong. <laughs> Paul, 15 years before, when Paul wrote Galatians, he says they're just wrong, his opponents. He says, I don't care if an angel comes in and tells you something different than what I told you. Believe what I told you. Paul, God has given Paul a tremendous amount of self-confidence about the good news that he is bringing about his working out the implications of Jesus's birth, life, death, and resurrection. What did that mean? Not just for the immediate people around Jesus, but for the rest of the Jews, for the rest of the world, for the coming decades, for the centuries, for all time. What did it mean? that God became incarnate? What did it mean that God was crucified, that Jesus was crucified on this cross? What did it mean that Jesus was resurrected? And I think that um, Paul is just, he knows what's at stake. You see, I think a lot of people today don't believe really anything's at stake. Ah, whatever. No, the truth of the gospel is, is the truth that saves. Everything is at stake. Everything is at stake. People who, who turn away from God thinking, ah, well, who cares? They're missing the life that God created them to live. They may keep breathing and moving, but they're missing the life that God created them to live that abundant life that Jesus speaks of in John 10. That abundant life, that, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about their rescue. We're talking about their salvation. We're talking about their, their to, to repairing their estrangement from God. And for Paul, it's rightly everything, everything. So, of course, he's going to speak strongly about it. These are things they ought not to teach, and to close out verse 11, and, and they do it for the sake of dishonest gain. So, they're coming in. They're probably taking collections. Oh, okay. They're probably taking collections. They might have been calling them love offerings. They're coming <laughs> in and, and taking collections, probably, is what's going on, and, 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 and teaching these this false doctrine. Gosh, doctrine is a word that just makes people's eyes roll in the back of their heads. 
But all doctrine is is a statement about the nature of reality. We have a doctrine about gravity. <laughs> that You know, the mass of the earth is going to suck you in. So if you throw a big old baseball up in the air, it's going to fall down to the earth because of the earth's mass. That's... That's the doctrine of gravity. We don't use the word doctrine to speak of it. It's the law of gravity, but it's the same idea. Christian doctrine is statements about the nature of reality, about the nature of God, about the nature of creation. Um, I liked a, a phrase they used down at seminary that I learned from Lauren Gerlach is theological anthropology, right? This, this who are we? Anthropology, I know it, that's the study of humans. But you've got to put the study of humans within the context of God and God's creation of us. And what does that mean? So, yeah, so theological, the doctrine, the doctrines around the theology of humans is, they're all statements about how things really are. So, and here these people are coming in, teaching wrong stuff, Paul's not afraid to, he's not, he's not afraid to, to state it. It would be like somebody coming in to what? We like that, that infamous Methodist bishop from many years ago now, um, fortunately who didn't catch on, who denied the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, Paul would simply say, I think he would say two things. One, you are utterly and completely wrong and why are you still a bishop in this church? Why don't you find something else to do with your life if you don't believe Jesus was resurrected? I don't think Paul would pull any punches at all. And if the man tried to clever his way around it, Paul would out-clever him. Can you out-clever somebody, honey? I guess you can. <laughs> now, okay, so they're, they're coming in, they're teaching the wrong things, they're doing it for dishonest gain. This is all happening on the island of Crete. So let me just refresh your memory about where Crete is. Boom, there it is. It's not Cyprus. Cyprus is further east, okay? Crete is right there in the middle of the eastern Mediterranean. And you encounter it several times in the course of Scripture. That's where uh, Paul is shipwrecked and stuff. But, um, yeah, that's Crete. Steve Wilson asked, what happened to the bishop? Well, I think he retired. I don't think they kicked him out. They should have. I don't know if the, I don't know if you, I don't know if the Council of Bishops can kick out a bishop or not. But I've said many times, I I do it. I I feel badly for this New Testament scholar, Gerd Ludemann. German scholar who he lost his belief in the resurrection but at least he was had enough of a brain to realize he needed to stop calling himself a Christian and he did even that you can't call yourself a Christian and deny the resurrection of Jesus the bodily resurrection of Jesus don't don't just make it a metaphor for something else no if you, if, you, if you can't believe that Jesus was actually bodily resurrected, then just call yourself many things, but don't call yourself a Christian. It's been that way for 2,000 years. It's only in our time that people seem so, so afraid of, of holding to, to truth claims like that, that we, to doctrine like that, that we 
we're just sometimes people just seem to be afraid to say it. I don't know. Anyway, so verse twelve. Now we get into Crete. So is so Paul writes one of Crete's own prophets. Prophets. Okay. A lot of ways to use that word. He's just using it here in the sense of somebody who, oh, well, he probably could have used the word like for philosophers. Now it might have thrown people a little less. People who read this later. Christians who wonder, well, like, what's he talking about? I think he just means, like, one of Crete's own philosophers has said it, this. And what follows is a maxim. It's a saying. It's, it's something that people know. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows the maxim. Everybody knows the saying. In 2,000 years ago, in the eastern end of the Mediterranean, here it is. Cretans, the people of Crete, are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Wow. Spoken by one of Crete's own hometown folks. So that's where we get the Cretan. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Let's talk about yeah. it. So first of all, Patty's right. This is the, you know, it's it, it, it was a maxim at the time, a saying. Um, it, it, of course, became so much better known over the course of history because it's in Paul's letter to Titus. But it's not original Paul. Paul's just quoting this. You know, it's it's found in other places. And it, this idea about being something wrong with the Crete, with the people of Crete being liars probably goes back to a common belief among the people of Crete that the great god Zeus was buried on Crete. Well, for everybody else, that's crazy because Zeus is immortal, so how could he be buried on Crete? And so the people of Crete got, ended up there, there um, being sort of identified with lying. There's a, there was a word taken into ancient Greek, kratzos, from, from Crete, Kratzos, which means to lie or cheat. Huh. Not, not very good for the tourist um, no. <laughs> business, huh? <laughs> so Cretans are always liars. You know what that means. That's a straightforward, um, can't be trusted with the truth kind of people. Evil brutes. Now, the word there is, is a very animalistic sort of word given to wild abandon and wild passions and and a certain a certain why I keep using the word wildness a certain um, brutish savagery that you can find among animals cruelty maybe too maybe and lazy gluttons well lazy pretty straightforward Pretty good translation. Glutton, they're just unending consumers of whatever will make them happy in the moment. Un unsatiable appetite for life's pleasures, which is far from the, you know, the virtues that were espoused by Aristotle and valued in the Greek world. So, the maximum, so... 
Paul's quoting this this saying that, and people do that. You quote saying, why do you quote a saying? You quote a saying because everybody knows it, and you're using it to make your argument, but you're saying something everybody knows. So Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons, and Paul then says, and this saying is true. Titus, listen, you're in a tough place. <laughs> you know, you're in a tough place. This is sort of, I don't know, maybe... Titus, I'm glad it's you and not me. Not, <laughs> he says, this saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. You will have to speak directly to them. You will have to be ready to, with great strength and great vigor, to tell them what the truth is and tell them that what they are teaching is simply wrong and to stop it. Rebuke them so that they will be sound in the faith. That's always Paul's goal. He, he doesn't want to rebuke people simply out of the, you know, the joy of rebuking or something. He wants to bring them to the faith. He wants to bring them to the truth. Paul's a pastor. God chose him for this work. That's what he wants to do. So that they will be sound in the faith. So that they will understand. Right? If we took the time, we will again someday, to go through the Apostles' Creed, line by line, to make sure we all understand what we say together every Sunday morning, would... The goal be because, oh, well, that might be a little interesting. No, I mean, it might be interesting, but the, but the purpose is to give us a sure foundation in our faith so we can really understand what it is that we're proclaiming, what it is that we're doing, why we do it, how much the world changed 2,000 years ago. So, he says, so that the will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to the Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. Right? <clears throat> because God has revealed things to Paul. So what Paul teaches are not just human commands. He is passing on what God gave him. Timothy is passing on what God gave to Paul and which Paul gave to Timothy and which I'm sure God in some ways, has given to Timothy, has helped him. That's what we mean by people getting inspired and stuff. It's not magic, but there we we learn from those who came before us when it comes to trying to understand the real, the revealed Word of God. And though they don't have, they don't have a New Testament like we have, they still Timothy spent a lot of time. Do I keep saying Timothy? Titus spent a long time with Paul learning and hearing, and Paul teaching Titus as he taught Timothy to understand what the truth is. So, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. You know, I've been teaching St. Andrew for 20 years. I one of my goals was is to help people be a discerning consumer 
of stuff that they that they hear out there about Jesus. Because I'm telling you, every Easter, there's all kinds of Easter shows about Jesus. And a lot of them, you just wonder, like, where are they coming from? So, and there's a lot of stuff published about Jesus. And there's a lot of stuff in social media about Jesus. So we have to be we have to be discerning about that and wise. And the way that you do that is by being sound in the faith. And Paul wants that to work for these household churches on Crete, that they will ignore these people who are spinning tales, attractive though they might be. I'm thinking of that phrase in Second Timothy about itching ears, right? We, there are a lot of things we would like to hear, Preachers are always tempted to preach whatever they think will fill up the pews. But no, that's not what it's about. It's about preaching correct doctrine, true doctrine, so that we all are grounded and sound in the faith. So, any thoughts, Patty? No, no, no. Every, Everybody time. okay? Yep. All right, so then he goes on. Verse, and we're going we're gonna to go to um, something Jesus said here in just a minute. To the pure, all things are pure. We, I, it could be to the holy. Right? All things are holy. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, they don't, they don't put their faith in Jesus, nothing is pure. Why does he say that? He says that because when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are born anew. We take off the old, corrupt, decaying, dirty clothing that we were wearing and we put on new clothing that is without decay. And that has happened already and will one day be made fully manifest when Jesus returns. But you can't deny the present reality of that, or if you do, you won't understand Jesus or Paul or any of the rest of the New Testament writers well. And you are in the, let me put it a different way, you are in the darkness with all that means until you step into the light. Look at verse 15 again. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, do not have faith, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They are in the darkness. This is how John would do it in his gospel. They are in the darkness until they step into the light. Um, let's see. Let's, let's turn to Luke chapter 6 verse 45 and hear Jesus on this same okay so I'm going I'm slow at this so you will certainly be able to keep up Luke chapter 6 verse 45 45, 45. and he's got he's what is he doing? He's Jesus is going to be contrasting a good man and an evil man, a good man and a not good man, a, a virtuous man and a man consumed with the vices. 
verse 45. This is Jesus. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. He's in the light. <laughs> and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. He's still in the darkness. His mind is corrupt. His conscience is corrupt. It's not, it's not trustworthy in the least. And then Jesus says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This is, that, that's his, you know, Jesus' half-brother is James, and that's, that's like right out of the book of James. Your mouth betrays you. Your mouth betrays you. So, um, back to, back to, to Titus. To the pure, to the holy, that's the idea. All things are pure. All things are holy. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. Nothing is holy. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. The first part of that is a little reminiscent of, of maybe it was in Timothy where we read that, you know, God gave us this world to enjoy. All things created by God are good. En enjoy them. What we do is we misuse them. The vices are where you take a good thing and you make it into a bad thing. That's what the vices are. But God created everything and God pronounced it all good. And and we sometimes, I think, people can forget that. And I think that um, for the Jews that Titus is opposing, um, those who are coming in, bringing something other than the true gospel, uh, they, they themselves, they don't get that. So verse 16, they claim to know God. These are the opponents. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. I just can't help but think of Galatians when I read this. In Galatians, he when the letter opens 15 years before to opponents in Galatia who are pulling people away from the gospel, that's what's happening. They're enticing people away from the, the, the true gospel that Paul has brought to them. He begins that letter and he doesn't, he doesn't waste any time tearing into them. There's no niceties at the beginning of the letter, nothing like that. He obviously, this matters so much to him. Each person matters to him. God loves them. They, of course, have to matter to Paul. And if they're entrusting themselves, themselves to lies, then, of course, Paul is going to fight for them. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing that Paul wants is ready to fight for them. The truth matters. The truth matters. And Paul Paul is an is a is a man who is gonna fight for the truth. And here he's just trying to make sure 
that Timothy is ready to fight as well. They are detestable. They are disobedient. They are unfit for doing anything good. Does that mean they are beyond God's grace? No. No. Does not mean that. <laughs> but in what they are doing, they are certainly placing themselves outside the kingdom. That doesn't mean they're forsaking forever their place in the kingdom. Um, but for now, they are, they are outside the kingdom. So, any thoughts or questions about that? So do you think this is almost just like a reminder and um, I know like a going forth thing for Titus because Paul has been there with him um titus must really know all this right i mean he must know what these people are like but now that paul is leaving see maybe maybe that once titus is left there on his own that's when they come out okay they're not willing to confront paul but they're willing to confront. So it's like stay Titus. on your toes. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not there. Okay. Here, here's what you're facing, Titus. I could see that being the case as well. You know, it's like all the rest, the, all of these letters. You wish you had a lot more context yes, for everyone, right? Perhaps this letter is written because Paul has heard that it is really being tough on Titus that the opponents are. And it could just be that as the time goes by, um, that it's just more and more important for these early Christians to focus upon the truth of the gospel. Because certainly, as you get into the later writings, later than, later than this one, as you get into the later writings, you get more and more about being ready to defend the faith, being ready to protect the flock from the wolves kind of thing. Um, because I think it's, it's, they know how difficult it is. And is it not still difficult, Patty? Yes. Yes. So many things entice people away. Yes. Right? Why is it that, that, um, church attendance and Christian Glittering professions vices. of faith are all you know all on the decline in America. Yeah. What's happening with that? People are being enticed away. Yes. They're not. They're being enticed away by the baubles and bangles, but they're just being enticed away by other ideas. You know, if you tell somebody that really deep down you're a god, you have the, the spark of the divine within you that could be pretty attractive to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So when Christians come along and say, well, no, you don't. There's actually a creator who made you and who loves you, but, but, but you, are actually, you are actually a creature. So, I don't know. It's just, well, there we know, go. Because, of course, last week we did the first, first nine verses. And now, after reading the next set of verses, you really understand 
why in the beginning when we don't know exactly what's happening in Crete and we get all this information for Titus about making sure you pick these righteous elders and the list goes on and on how these men have to be virtuous men and you kind of go like wow that's heavy as you would say but then you then you're reminded why because they had a tough because, fight. Yeah, these people are this rotten is, to the this core. This is a tough so fight down there in Crete. You need to have some of these elders really upstanding, righteous people to be helping you. Listen to the way they describe helping. themselves. as one of their own people said. They're all liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> something, isn't it? It is. Yes, and not to be given to drunkenness and you know yeah. cheating on oh. your wife and all these things, which must have been running rampant at the time. Well, that was that's the kind of stuff was was running rampant all over the Greco-Roman Empire. Perhaps even worse on Crete. It sounds like these people were really, really bad, though. <laughs> so, oh, that's true, Patty. That's a good observation. So now. Paul is going to begin speaking. Well, let's see. Before we do that, I did bring something today. Uh, is it a map? <laughs> we already did the map. I know. Okay. So, one of the commentaries that I thought was good on this was by a guy named David Ackerman. And he took the section we've just finished and he said, look, here are three things that you need to take from this text. And so I thought, oh, I like, I like three-point lists. So here they are. Word for 2022. Do not compromise with false doctrine. It's not, there's nothing but ruin that comes from that. You might not see it in the short term, but you will in the long term. So, just as Christians stood strong 2,000 years ago, just as the Protestant reformers stood strong 500 years ago and came forward and said, no, we have gotten way off track, right? So, even today, we have to be willing to stand up for true doctrine, for the teachings of the church which have come from Scripture, do not compromise with false doctrine. Point number two. This vital connection between holiness of heart, which might be which we can think of, you know, how what we of our faith, because faith is a heart word really, it's that trust word, and our lifestyle. They go together. When they don't go together, it's when Christians are labeled hypocrites, right? And I know people will say, well, you know, as poor Christians, it's only because we, we, we know what we do wrong. Well, I guess I could say maybe we should all try to do less wrong. How about that? Do a better job of loving God and loving others. Because certainly in the New Testament, in Paul, in the Gospels, in the other writings, you can't pull apart your faith and your life. your trust in Jesus and your obedience of Jesus, your purity of heart and purity of life, your holiness of heart and holiness of life. Um, because as Jesus says, 
your mouth will betray you. Your mouth will show <laughs> what is lurking down there. Do you live in the light or do you live in the darkness? Are you the shining light on the hill? I mean, you could compile a list of scripture verses. Verses, it's you know, uh, a mile, a mile deep. But it's just vital. I that that we recognize this. There's what Paul means when he says, "Work out your own salvation." In Ephesians, he says. It just means you can't pull these apart. You can't just say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Let me go back to that wild, crazy party of in which people are getting hurt or, or neglected or whatever. No, no, no. Just saying, saying Lord, Lord, Lord is not, is not what this is about. It's about trusting and obeying your heart and your life together, vitally connected. And, and I can speak for me when I say that that's a challenge. I think it's a challenge for us all, for us to, to really every day strive to be the people God has called us to be, created us to be. So that's the second thing that David Ackerman got out of that paragraph. Third thing, huh, well, let's see. Okay, the character, this gets to Patty's point, the character of leaders will influence the direction of the communities they lead. This is no surprise. The character of the leaders will influence the direction of the communities they lead. So, my the example I would use here is of St. Andrew. Patty and I visited St. Andrew more than 20 years ago, substantially more than 20 years ago, and we stayed. And we came to appreciate what a special place St. Andrew is, and I think that is still the case. And that specialness, which people who have to move away have trouble finding, I think began with Robert Hasley. That his, his way of being God's shepherd and pastor permeated St. Andrew and created an ethos and a, and, a, and a DNA which we are all charged with carrying on, which, and Robert had worked with Arthur for 10 years and saw the same thing in him, as I see the same thing in Arthur. Arthur is not the same kind of person as Robert is, but he has a really, really good heart, as Robert has a really, really good heart. And so, and so maintaining this ethos of encouragement and welcoming um, and, and kindness at St. Andrew is something that we're all charged with and it reflects the character of the leaders. So that's why, as Patty was saying, in a place like Crete where there's clearly a lot of problems, Paul is so focused on helping Titus find good leaders who will have the strength and the character to lead these communities forward well and in a Christ-like way. So, Scott, can you go back and just put that up for a minute again, that slide? I, you know I can. I know, and I've been asked to ask you to do that for a minute. There we go. 
Yeah, all these slides that you put up like this, I take screenshots of all of myself and someone else's. Well, I can try to I can try to use a few more because you know some of the commentaries I use, the commentary writers are pastors or scholars or whatever, and they reflect upon the sections and they usually, not always, but lots of times have some really helpful points to make. Okay, so the gentleman who wrote this, David Ackerman. Who, who is he? He's a um, professor of something or other somewhere. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I believe he's the same David Ackerman who wrote a commentary on Revelation as well. Okay. But I would have to look it up. But, but he's a respected I've, scholar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, he And he's his commentary is part of a whole series that is kind of written from a Wesleyan perspective. Whatever, you know, that doesn't mean very much for most of it, but... It will, where we're coming to a little bit in chapter two, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but yeah. So, uh, I just find his commentary to be helpful to me, and I thought I would bring that along. I'll start bringing along a little bit more of that kind of thing. How would that be, Betty? It'd be good. Okay. So, okay. So now we're going to get into, it's not really a household code like you have in some of the other places. I guess it's like an abridged version, not complete, but Paul is now going to speak to the believers themselves um, about, about what, what Titus should strive to teach them and how they should be living and I guess there's two things that Paul wants from them. That they would do what builds up the body of Christ, do what builds up these household churches, and do what is a good witness to others. And avoid what tears down the body of Christ, and avoid what is a bad witness to others. Now that means certain things. The Christian households need not, they need to be, they, they should not be seen by their neighbors as crazy or wicked or anti-family values. They need to be the epitome of a virtuous first century Greco-Roman household. Okay, and in these households, there are there are typically a father slash husband who is in charge of the family. There is typically a wife slash mother whose domain is the household, which we've talked before about the the tension that can create because these churches are meeting in the households. So, in the wife who typically leads a very private life. Um, not not a public life at all, not educated at all. Um, but her domain is the household, so that, that has to factor and maybe shines a spotlight on how she behaves herself. Okay, There will usually be children, might be small, might be grown, and there would typically be a slave or two or three or four who people who might have been born into slavery, people who were who were put out to die as an infant and were rescued and are taken into a household and raised as a slave, people who were 
gave themselves into slavery as in order to settle a debt, um, all with the prospect of getting out of slavery. There were a lot of freed people in the empire as well. So it's, it's not like um, the institution of African-American slavery. Um, it's, it's closer to the, the old institution of indentured servanthood when somebody would bind themselves over to someone else for, say, seven years in order to pay off a debt or earn passage to America or whatever it might be, an indentured servanthood, which was pretty close to slavery, but it wasn't the African-American horror of, of slavery. So it's, it's, it's different. But those are the members of the households, and they would all make up the household. The father, the mother, the children, whatever. Slaves, there are, they all servants, they all make up the household. And it's in in that home, if it was large enough and the family was had enough means to have a reasonably sized home, that Christians would meet, because there were no churches per se. They would meet inside these homes. So look at chapter two, verse one. He says, You Titus, however, <laughs> let's connect it to the preceding end since I got far away he says at six, chapter 1 verse 16 they claim to know God but by their actions they deny him they are detestable, disobedient unfit for doing anything good you however Titus must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine You must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine, which means what? You have to learn what sound doctrine is. We live in a time when people don't see terribly concerned with that. I think Lauren Gerlach runs into that down there at SMU Seminary, and maybe at a lot of seminaries, where the students go thinking what they're there to, to do is to find their own religion, find something that works for them. Well. No, I, I no, I wouldn't think that could that could possibly be what the mission is. The mission has to be to teach them what the what the Orthodox Christian doctrine is. Now, if they want to choose, if they choose to disagree with it or go some other direction, fine. But you got to start <laughs> by understanding what and knowing what the sound doctrine is. That makes sense, right, Patty? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So he's saying, Timothy, I've spent a lot of time with you. <laughs> you know what the sound doctrine is. So you're to teach what is, you're to teach that, what is appropriate with that. Verse 2, teach the older men to be temperate. Um, uh, temperate, a temperate climate is a climate that doesn't blow too hot or too cold, Right? To be temperate. Don't be given over to fiery passions one way, one way or the other. Teach the older men to be temperate. That This would be a virtue. I was going to say, isn't temperance one yeah, of the virtues? Yeah, it's one of the virtues. Yeah. Worthy of respect. There we go. This, this is a very honor-shaped culture. They must be worthy of respect. Respect is a social idea, like glory is, right? 
Respect is a social idea, worthy of respect from others. Self-controlled, that sort of fits with temperate. And sound in faith. By now you know that he particularly means sound in the true doctrine, in sound doctrine, sound in faith, also in love. And you almost think the next word is going to be hope, right? But no, in endurance. Again, back to Crete. Maybe this is, a, this is a tough fight. It's been a long haul, going to be a long haul. Endurance. That is a, a phrase that um, Paul likes to use, though, like the, the whole sporting metaphor and stuff. Like he has run the good race. Right, and he's, he's had the endurance for it. He's trained for it. He can mm -hmm. endure through it, endure through the struggles, endure through the opposition. And, and in a world in which... Most people think you're crazy, as most people did think Paul was crazy at this time in this world, that it would take endurance and strength. I mean, nearly everybody wants to be accepted by other people. And Paul shows up telling them the stories of this crazy God who got himself crucified. Yeah. In sound and faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, Teach the older women. These would be women who are no longer raising children. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. Now you wonder why he would say addicted to much wine. Because a problem in Greco-Roman society was that they had a lot of leisure time because of the slave system. You see, what the slave system created was an economy that, in which all of the menial work of a reasonably sized household, which would be the kind of household hosting these homes, the, these meetings, all the menial stuff was done by, by, by the slaves, which meant that the husband and the wife, particularly when there aren't children to raise anymore for the wife, they have a lot of free time. Um, symposia, for us a symposium is something you can go to where you have learned or supposedly learned people, you know, pontificating about this or that. It goes back to the, the Greek idea of a symposia, which was basically an all-night drinking party. That's what a symposia, symposia was, an all-night drinking party. The gymnasia, was a place where men went to kind of work out and do manly things and all this other stuff. They had lots of time for it. We don't think about the ancient world that way, but they had a problem with leisure time. So it, if you have too much time on your hands, I guess it would make it extra easy to get addicted to too much wine. Addicted to much wine, right? But to teach, so so the, the older women who are no longer, they're not raising children. That's what he means by being older. They're reverent in the way they live. They're not to be slanderers slash gossips. You can you put the word there if you want. Or addicted to much wine. But to teach what is good. Well, that's like putting them to work then, right? They're to teach what is good. Maybe he means, he probably means taking some of the younger women under their wings under their tutelage help them teach them 
there are the younger women who do have children are are busy raising the kids and managing the household so these older women who are managing the household yes but they're not raising kids anymore maybe they could help the younger women teach what is good then really in the greek it's really so that right so that they can teach the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure or holy, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands. So why? So that no one will malign the word of God. So that no one will malign the word of God. So that they will be good witnesses. And how do they, what does it mean? How do they, what is it going to require for them to be good witnesses? to attract people from the Gentile world into this movement so that they these households are going to have to be seen as virtuous, worthy households in which the husband rules the roof and the wife is subject to the husband. It's not more complicated than that. It is not an edict for all time. It's like today, okay? I don't think in 2022 America, in Frisco, Texas, among all the various people that I know, people would tend to see virtuosity in women, wives, simply being subject to their husbands. I, I think that's just not how we see Women, I don't think it's how we see marriages. I don't think it's the marriages we live. It's not the marriages I see and encounter. So if we thought that being a Christian meant that the wife was going to have to shut up and be quiet and just do whatever her husband told her to do, that would be a poor witness to Christ in Frisco because you wouldn't get people to come and see. You get my point, Patty. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, and I, for one, do not understand why people will read Paul and think he says things like this and they want to think he would say the same thing to us 2,000 years later. He is being very culturally sensitive. He wants the Christian gospel to be heard. Two things. Do whatever builds up the body of Christ. Do what is a good witness to others. As Jesus would put it, be the shining city on the hill. In the Greco-Roman world of 65 AD, that means you run a virtuous household. And in the longer household codes, it's clear that most of the change right, that Paul is looking for is coming from the husbands, not from other people, but from the husbands. Here he doesn't get into that so much. This is a very short, short little succinct thing. And he's just saying the older women who don't have kids anymore, here, they could get lost in their idleness. As we all can get lost in our idleness. I, for one, find if I have too much free time, what do I do? 
nothing. <laughs> no, I, I, I need deadlines. <laughs> I need things to spur me on. You know, if you get, if 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 I've got two weeks to read a book, I'll still wait until the last minute usually to get it done. I don't know. Anyway, so the then the older women can spend their time with the younger women in the Christian community, in these household churches, teaching them, right, about what it really means to love their husbands and children as Christians. Because he's writing about Christian households here. As Christians, what does it mean to love your husbands, to love your children, to be self-controlled, to be holy, to be, to be busy at home so, you know, you just avoid that idleness. There's, a, there's an old vice who's, oh gosh, I'm not going to remember the name of it. It begins with an A. It's not apathy. It's something else. I've taught it before. Now my brain is failing me. But it, it's, it's kind of falling into the doing of nothing. Just falling into the doing of nothing. And it's not what God created us for. God created Adam and Eve and he gave them a beautiful place to live. And No, Dawn, it's not, it's not even avarice. Avarice is kind of greed. It's another A word. It's not arrogance? Nope. Hmm. It's a word you don't typically encounter. Okay. Let me put it that way. I'll find it after class. <laughs> I'll bring it to you next week. <laughs> Just for grins. Just for grins. Yeah. It's an old word. It's a word which goes back to the early church, to like the desert fathers, these guys who moved out to the to the desert and communed with God. Apathy. Don's trying. Nope. Not a word you hear anymore. Okay. Not apathy. It's another A word. Don is furiously going through. You're not and Patty's, up. Yeah. <laughs> Patty, both of them are furiously going through this in their in their phones. But when they find it, I'll know it. Anyway, so that's what these older women, he says, here's, here, here. And, and why are we doing this? Is it just for our good? That, maybe that's the way to end with that question in verse 5. Is it merely for their good that they're doing this? So that we are really good Christians and we'll have our nice Christian households? No, it's not merely for their own good. It is so that, he doesn't even mention their own good. It is so that no one will malign the word of God. So no one will look at us and say, Oh, what terrible people these Christians are. That's what he fears. That's what he fears. And he fears that the Christians will use their newfound freedom in Christ, which is true, he says in Galatians, written 15 years before, you know, in Christ is neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. He's just afraid that the Christians will find, will, 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 will take the liberty that they have in Christ and let it become something which actually chases people away from Christ. He does the same thing in worship styles. He says, I, 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 I love it that you speak in tongues. First, this is in 1 Corinthians. I love it that you speak in tongues. I speak in tongues, but, but goodness, can you only have one or two people do it? And then those people, there need to be others who interpret it because if everybody just starts 
speaking all in tongues at the same time, those outside the walls are going to think you're all, you've all lost your minds. He's a practical man, that Paul is. A practical man. So, I think the second letter of the A word is G. G. <laughs> what? I think the second letter of the A word is G. And it wasn't anger. No, 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 no. It's not. No, it's not a word we use every day. Um, I'm getting closer, closer to it. Okay. Like A C A. I.E. something like that. We will have you look up that one. <laughs> I've even gone through different I probably websites. got it in half a dozen books behind me on my shelf, Patty. Yes. Yes. <laughs> probably oh, do. man. Don't we have fun? We do have fun. Fun on Mondays. Fun on Mondays. <laughs> I talked to my son, Chris, because he lives in North Carolina, and they have gotten slammed with snow. So I called to make sure they were okay. So I said, I've got class shortly. He goes, that's right, it's on, on a holiday? I said, yeah. He said, never made sense to me to cancel Bible study on the day celebrating the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Reverend. I'm emphasizing the Reverend, Reverend part. Yes. So yes. Um, <laughs> He would be happy. I've heard you say before that we're doing a class today. So... Don is volunteering to lay awake tonight in bed, oh, no. thinking of the A word. Don, when he finds it, I'm going to text it to you. Yeah, so I don't we're going to try to rescue you. I don't want you to have to do that. <laughs> Maybe I'll even make a funny Facebook post out of it. That's right. That's right. That's right. We have too much fun here we online. Do. We do. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. You remember what I told you the, the other day? We were watching TV over the weekend, and they were talking about the various activities going on for Martin Luther King. And I was looking up on Wikipedia just to get some more information. And one of the things that surprised me so much is that he was killed at 39 years old. 39! I mean, can you imagine if he lived? You know, and had all those years of experience and wow wow so that was just that was terribly sad to me i just thought that he was know, much older yes yeah. yes yeah and i could remember very very well i was a schoolgirl, and i remember when it came on tv and my mom was trying to explain to me what the implications of him being shot was and boy it, it's it's still there today yep. unfortunately so, I hope maybe you could walk outside your house, it's probably 65 degrees now, and just enjoy the sun for a few minutes. Right. Don't you? And then yeah. start going to gonna go down and get it colder. it gets cold so fast. Anyway, um, gonna we're going to close in here, prayer. Patty? And uh, thank you all for being here today. If you can come back tomorrow, 12 o'clock, Gospel of John. The Raising of, of Lazarus. Lazarus. Yes. We did that pretty well. We did. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this group that gathers together every Monday. And we pray, God, that you would watch over this group, each of us, Lord, our friends, our family. We pray, God, for good health for all of us. And we pray, God, that you'd help keep us safe. We pray, God, for your wisdom and your discernment in our lives to help us make good choices every day, big and little. We pray, God, for this group. We know that many of us have friends and family members who have COVID. 
friends may be at church. There are many people right now that are in the hospital, and we just pray, God, for an end soon to this current variant, which has just kind of raced through our, our country. And we pray, God, that you would just keep our country safe. We lift up to you today, Dr. Martin Luther King, on, on his national holiday. And we just pray, God, that some of the wisdom that he imparted on us would, would just sink in, would just sink in. Lord, please hold us close. Bring us back together safely next week. We pray also, before I close out, Lord, of all those that we know that are recovering this week, like our friends Doug and Norm, and there's many other people that are recovering from surgeries and recovering from COVID. We just pray, God, your healing hand on each of them. All this we pray in the great and glorious name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. Adios, everybody. Bye, guys. See you later. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.